Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's a beautiful, and I love to say that, beautiful, sunny afternoon here in Chicago. Welcome to Draft Politics. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ, and as always with me is Steve. Hey, everybody. Uh, yeah, we're out at uh, Half Acres Belmora location where they have a very nice beer garden. Uh, we attempted to record this on Monday. We were thinking we'd do like a Memorial Day barbecue hangout and, you know, family meet up and uh, do some recording. But it was rainy and crappy, so we kind of didn't do that. Uh, so we postponed it today, and we've been rewarded by by the weather of Chicago. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're out, uh, out on s- some nice long uh, picnic tables here having a couple beers. And rewarded by some good news today, too. We hung on just long enough, I think, for some good news that's come through over the last few hours. And I think it'd be, you know, good to get into it, right? Yeah. So before we normally we talk about Chicago politics first, but I think uh, today because of uh, of Robert Mueller's press conference, we want to spend a moment talking about all the new revelations that came out of that press conference. So on to Chicago, right. Uh, right. we've got uh, the school board uh, changes by Lightfoot. Um, I think the most notable one is uh, DeValle is uh, the new school board chief. I know. Hey, that's fantastic. I you know, <coughs> looked into him a little bit today. I think somebody who represents large swaths of different communities, has done a lot of things in the city, knows the city already. It's not some total outsider, but somebody outside enough that I'm glad to see that will have a different kind of voice. Yeah, and I know when, when Rahm Emanuel originally ran, um, a lot of the people that I knew were uh, supporters of Devaye as kind of the most, seeming like the most progressive voice out there. Um, he never really got enough traction, obviously, to, to, to challenge Rahm. Um, but it's interesting to see him there. And I think overall I just find, it seems like every other day or so, I find something that's a pleasant surprise I wasn't expecting from, from Lightfoot's uh, new term as mayor. Um, and there were more today. Yes. Right? Because today was her first city council meeting, the first one she presided over. And really, her first test in many ways, because she had proposed lots of changes to the city council, the way it's structured. There were some somewhat controversial appointments, like Scott Wagesback uh, to head the finance committee. And you heard some differing opinions and some of the uh, some aldermen saying that they were going to vote no and they were going to push back because Scott is too... Uh, I think they said standoffish and doesn't bring people into the fold enough and doesn't invite debate enough or something like that. Uh, but in the end, he's there now. He's there now. And yes, and of course, the person who uh, paid the price for that is uh, Burke, which came up today. Uh, they had uh, during the city council meeting, uh, Burke decided he wanted to go on a bit of a soliloquy about uh, gendered language in some of the I don't know exactly what this what this was all about. Um, I just got the bare bits of it, but uh, you know it all sounded good. But ultimately, as uh, Lightfoot pointed out, that the law treats any sort of gendered language as being equivalent. It doesn't matter what you're saying; it applies to everybody. Um, but he wanted to keep talking, and eventually, she just kind of told him to just sit down and uh, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> her quote was, "Alderman, please, I will call you when I want to hear from you." Yes, and to you, Ed Burke, I say, don't hold your breath. Yeah. So it's a nice. She's not calling. Yes, a nice microcosm of of the changes afoot in our in our politics. So that was good. And I don't know why that makes me smile so much, but if you can't hear the smile in my voice right now, <laughs> oh, I yeah. can assure you oh, that yeah, I am yeah. grinning. It is. If, if if any candidate had told me that if I elected them for mayor, that one of their first acts as mayor would be to tell 
Burke to sit down, I would have voted for them. So Absolutely. I just need I'm somebody rewarded. to put that into the final episode of Game of Thrones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dracarys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, some changes afoot, uh, some things haven't changed. Uh, of course, we had a Memorial Day weekend, uh, still a lot of shootings and uh, five deaths. Uh, it is lower levels of, of deaths than the last couple years, but it's, you know, just, you know, within the margin of error, if you will. Um, uh, Lightfoot did try to do some things different, having uh, peace coordinators like uh, ministers and things like that trying to go out in the community to help sort of reduce that. Um, same kind of thing, though, of quote-unquote flooding the zone, of adding additional police uh, being active during those times, uh, and, and then also some youth programs. You know, and it's like, it, it, it's always tragic on those long weekends how it always seems to turn into this. Um, and hopefully we'll see some changes to kind of help improve things. But, you know, a lot of it's, you know, the systemic problems that we've been dealing with for decades here. Right. And I think Lori came out and said, look, the problems that we have here are due to systemic disinvestment in the south and west sides. And you know, her initial response, I thought, was at least active or proactive, making it easier to have more police on the scene and, again, reaching out to those other community groups to try to, to make some change. Now, Again, it's one weekend. Um, changes are not significant. Five deaths is too many. 34 shootings are too many. Oh, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Um, and it's one of the things about Chicago that I think none of us are proud of. Hopefully we can all work together towards something that something that makes sense. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, so, yeah, so not a lot of other city news to cover right now. Um you know, with the Memorial Day weekend, that was kind of, you know, took a little chunk out of that. We'll see what happens after uh, the city council's met a little bit and we start seeing kind of what legislation is ultimately going to come up and uh, change uh, what we can expect in the city in the future. But uh, we're not there yet. So uh, we'll move on to the state a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so we got the uh, fair tax has been passed out of uh, Senate and the House and signed. So now it is up to the voters. Yeah, this is really exciting. I mean, it was certainly one of the things that Pritzker had campaigned on. Actually, all the Democratic candidates for governor had campaigned on, some earlier than others, <clears throat> uh, and really pushed through pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, I have not read through all the details of what came out of the conference committee, so uh, I'm not positive if some of the more controversial uh, pieces of that were attached to the bill, but the most important part is that it is coming to the voters. So yeah, yeah, and the gist of it is basically that we're gonna it would move us away from the current constitutional mandate that we have a flat tax um, to having a progressive tax system. And uh, if you look at some neighboring states like Iowa, that's one of the things that has helped them to keep the cost of taxes down for middle income uh, people, but then <clears throat> allow them to still get the revenue they need from wealthier people. There's obviously a balance to be struck there. Um, you know, you don't want to end up so dependent on a very wealthy few who can then uproot and sort of throw the system into disarray. Uh, but it's it's pretty clear that what we have right now hasn't been working right. uh, for a variety of reasons. But this is a step in helping to fix that. Yeah. And, you know, we heard all those arguments that when you have a tax system that is progressive and banded and you pay more than you make more, that obviously all the wealthy people will leave uh, which 
we see has clearly happened in those desolate areas like Manhattan right. and San Francisco. <laughs> yes, they, they've run completely out of wealthy people now. It's very tragic. Completely out. I mean, I think they probably wish they had a few fewer of them. But still, you know, I don't think that we're done with the end of this campaign. We'll see a lot of, I think advertising about it oh as yeah we this is gonna get be into a next year it's huge gonna be a barrage of ads around a big this, fight so. i'll be interested to see what the illinois policy institute has to say about it oh yeah yeah and that's that's the thing it's it's going to be one of those things that's very easy to demonize as raising taxes and, and and all of that and i know some people who are nominally in favor of it but have pushed back on you know their concern that you know it's going to feed the same corrupt system that we already have and therefore what does it matter um, you know, and I feel like y y we kind of have to just try to make the framework better and hope that we can keep people's feet held to the fire and, and make them, you know, make the best use of that. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I, for one, wouldn't mind paying a little more in tax. Go yeah, on the record saying that. I think that's, yeah, I think for sure. I think it's, I would be fine paying a little more taxes. I think it's along as... We're seeing, you know, real improvements to how we're managing our, our finances in the state. Um, you know, it, it's all going to be a balancing act. I think the thing to keep in mind is all of the people that are in elected office right now will pay the consequences if they don't manage it correctly at, if this passes. So right. there is there is still a, a way to get back at everybody except for possibly um, the, the head, <laughs> the head Democrat. Uh, well, Mike Madigan, as was yeah. said to me is leaving his office feet first. So we have to assume that he's going to be there and work with and around him. Yes. And honestly, sometimes good things still can happen. So between the fair tax deal, and like I said, I know that there were things added on to the end of that that were compromises with different stakeholder groups, and I'm going to read through that in the next week and see if I can tease some of that out. But, you know... Broad strokes here, it's a great thing. We had to make a change. Yeah. Doing nothing was not an option. Yep. Um, and also feeding into tax conversations is the weed bill. Um, so it's the weed bill, man. Weed bill. It's the weed bill. 420. Anyhow, um, so apparently it's going to be up for this up for vote in the Senate today is what it sounds like. Um, I was hearing it, it may be actually being debated on the floor as we record this, uh, so we'll see what happens. Um a couple changes that have come about uh, in the negotiations around this. Apparently, um, if you want to grow at at home, you can only do it if you have a medical uh, medical license for it, uh, which you know I think is probably pretty reasonable. Um, those are the people who are going to certainly need the most access to a lower cost supply. Um, you know, help them avoid some of the you know the, the both the retail cost and the taxes around that. Um, and then also they've reduced the amount of. Uh, they were there was a, a policy to expunge criminal records for people who had been caught with simple possession of marijuana. Uh, the amount that you could be caught with has been reduced, so now it's 30 grams, which is about an ounce uh, for those of you using the English units. Uh, but you know, so not not great, but at least there's still something in there for people who are you know caught with a joint or two and and ultimately shouldn't have been uh, prosecuted for that. So that's where we're at with that. Yeah, and I've just sort of. Update now. They said they were just reconvening to continue the debate on it here right Fabulous. now, like three minutes ago. So real-time updates coming to your podcast that you're listening to on another day. Right. So you can tell us how it went 
on iTunes. On iTunes. Or Google Play. When or any other us. place. When you review us, which you should do. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, going out from there, uh, the Reproductive Health Act uh, passed the House. And um, if you're not familiar with this, uh, what it's doing basically is fixing the problem we have in our current state laws that would allow a undoing of Roe v. Wade to effectively make abortion illegal in Illinois. Um, so we kind of, in our, in our laws currently, we kind of defer to that. This would set it up so that we would ensure if the courts roll it back that it would still be a legal procedure here in, uh, in Illinois, uh, which is extra good because uh, the last abortion clinic in Missouri is set to be shut down in about two days. Right. Right. And I think as we've seen, again, all of the laws we talked about last week being passed uh, and the reflex from other states like Illinois, uh, I think we'll see more of these laws passed. Uh, HB something, something. 321 remember from last that. year. Okay. That I, I think it's H. Someone uh, please tell me on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> Which number it is, because I, I'm i not positive about it. But, you know, those kinds of laws, those kinds of things that we put in place as a state uh, or the statements by Lori Lightfoot during her inauguration uh, about protecting those rights for women here in Illinois is very important. Yeah. It's very important from a this is the right thing to do standpoint. I think it's very important from a keeping people here bringing people here, making this a place where people want to come and raise their families. So on all of those things, I'm glad that it passed today. Again, generally good news from Springfield, which Indeed. is something I don't say often. But Well, you know, and I feel like it's it, it's been interesting to see after the elections how, you know, both with Pritzker and Lightfoot, it's been... I've been pleasantly surprised about how, how well things seemingly have gone so far. I mean, obviously, there will be problems, and I fully expect, you know, we'll talk about those in future podcasts. Yeah. But um, so far, so good. Okay. So we've done city. We've done state. Let's talk about beer. Ah, yes. So, as we said, we're at Half Acre on uh, Belmoral and their uh, lovely beer garden just out front in their parking lot area. Yeah, this is an amazing space. Now, I've loved Half Acre for as long as I've lived in Chicago. And they've had their brewery on Lincoln, uh, again, for as long as I've lived here, uh, and have done the brewery tour. If you haven't done it, it's fantastic. It's like free Saturday morning show up. You just got to get in line. Just got to get in line and don't plan anything for the rest of the day. Yes. Um, they opened the tap room on Lincoln a number of years ago. I don't remember when. That was a revelation. To be yeah. honest, and now they've got this place up in Belmoral, still very close, just a little bit uh, north of Foster. A little more space, though, up here. A lot so more space. Good. Yeah, really they've got both the outdoor and the indoor areas. Yeah, really beautiful area. And honestly, this weather in the spring has been terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's nice to actually, you know, have today actually be a nice day. Like, it's a, it's maybe a little chilly to be hanging out outside, but, but by golly, we're going to do it. Cause yeah, we are going <laughs> to do it. And I'm having... Uh, this Bodum IPA, uh, it's really nice, really balanced, not too hop-heavy, not going to get all hop-mouthed from it. Uh, and maybe the best thing about it is because it's one of their core beers here at the Balmoral Tap Room, happy hour until 6 p.m., $2 off. So $4 for a pint of this. Not too bad. 
That is a hell of a deal. Yeah, and I'm having the Volo, which is a wheat lager, uh, and it is absolutely delicious uh, right in my wheelhouse. So also only $4. Also only $4. They are not a sponsor, but it almost sounds like they have. I mean, if they want to be, <laughs> that's fine. For they sure. can sponsor us by just moving the happy hour back 15 minutes to 6.15. I'll take that or maybe opening on a Monday. There you go. So it yes. is nice, admittedly, to be out on a non-Monday where our options opened up. I don't know sure. what we're going to do once we're out of places, especially as it gets warmer and we know all the places that are nice and have outdoor spaces. I guess we'll have to track, check out. Yeah, we'll, s we'll see. We may shift a recording day or something, but, you know, we'll see how it plays out. And you can let us know on iTunes if you think we should shift our recording day. <laughs> <laughs> or if there's a brewery you think we should check out, you know, please I let us know. I'm all for that. I am all for that. And we're back with Circus 2020. Like I said, we're at Half Acre. It's still beautiful here. We've moved on to our second beers. We often take a pause after the beer section so that we can talk about more yes. than just one beer. We're reminded of beer, and therefore we have another beer. Yeah. So there you go. It's fantastic. I would also like to say that this is a family-friendly place, so bring your kids. Yes, there's a baby being rocked right next to us. We're letting all this political knowledge seep into them <laughs> as they are rocked to sleep. <laughs> Election Circus 2020. So Circus 2020. I'm sad to say there were no new people entering the race this week. That's that's hard to believe. Are you sure? I mean, I'm not positive. I mean, somebody could have <laughs> announced. I, I honestly could have missed it, but I, I don't actually, think anybody. Somebody had posted a uh, some sort of, it was just like a fake ad that was like a, a cartoonish, like, uh, New person enter the race, and like, then somebody I'd never heard of, and I like. It took me a little while before I figured out it was actually just a joke. Like, oh, no, there's not another person. So we're at twenty three, apparently. Twenty three, I think, okay. is the number. Like, I think we had previously said twenty five, twenty six, but you know, I th maybe people dropped out. I have no idea. <laughs> maybe we're just wrong. <laughs> they that were happening. I, no, I don't think so. I don't. Yeah, that's not wrong. how punditry works. No, so like, you you just you just all. say things and just go. They're right? right. Okay, they're correct. But the bright side is. Yes. You got a Seth Moulton t-shirt. I did. I did. Big update. Big update. Seth Moulton t-shirt arrived. It's a very soft, top quality, union bug. It's all you can ask for in a political t-shirt. I was hoping that it would have had a sticker on it that said, packed by Seth. Uh, it did not. Presumably, he didn't pack it. Uh, but perhaps he did. Perhaps he did. It's very comfortable, actually. I very much like it. It's a, it's a nice, yeah, it's it's a nice a navy blue. Yeah. I, I will continue to wear it. Yeah. No, I got the recently got the uh, Elizabeth Warren has a plan for that T-shirt, which is a uh, nice. Good uh, thing. Okay. I'll, I'll wear that I a future like that. podcast. I, I will say uh, something to Seth Moulton's credits. It's getting a lot of airtime here. But Seth Moulton came out uh, over the last couple of days. He is a, uh, a veteran uh, and he came out the last couple of days and talked about his own PTSD and the, the struggles that he's had uh, from a, a mental health perspective. Um, and, you know, he said it in a way that I think is, is really is really good and comes at it from a leadership angle, right? You, know, you have to lead by example, and talking about these things is something that everybody should be comfortable doing. It's difficult. It's hard to talk about. But when we look at the state of the mental health of our veterans overall, we are remiss in not acknowledging that Many of them need help. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I applaud Seth for, you know, b 
being vulnerable and, and open about that uh, and talking about a subject that many people wouldn't uh, or wouldn't feel comfortable doing it and doing it from a stage that he has, uh, he has built up for himself uh, running for president. Yeah. Well, and it'll be interesting to see as this goes on, you know, especially once they start getting on the debate stages, you know, once they've all gotten their 65,000 donations they've been begging me for on Facebook lately, um, that, you know, each one is going to have their own particular thing that they try to s establish themselves on. Yeah. It's a crowded field, so a lot of them aren't going to get very far. But, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe something comes up that really, you know, pushes on his military service or, you know, boot edge edge is military service and you know we get something from that so who knows yeah. yeah this should also be your weekly reminder to ignore all polling about the democratic primary yes it is all garbage yes it is all garbage we can reasonably conclude that there are you know four or five people who have decent name recognition yeah. and and that's pretty much it and they will get to the polls and and it's always important to remember the polls in Iowa, the polls in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, those are the ones that are going to really matter and really set the pace for all of this once we get down to it. So, um, But I'm looking forward to uh, June 26th and 27th. They're going to be the first round of political debates. Um, you know, how they divide up on the stage is going to be fascinating to see. So I'm just, just biding my time till that day comes. I'm sure our podcast the day after that ought to be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. And hopefully watching it with you at some establishment that maybe or maybe not has beer. They might they might drink liberally there. You they never might. Know. They might. You never know. But you mentioned Warren. I, we said it last week. I think we say it again. Every week she gains ground. Every week more people see what she's doing, what she's talking about, the plans she has. Yeah. And I'll and be, you know, I mean, I'll be honest that I have a bias and, you know, that I am a, I'm a big supporter of hers. And so I'm much more tuned into it. But still, I see other articles and, and people posting elsewhere that are sort of supporting uh, the conclusion. And as we know, if it feels right, then it's clearly true. <laughs> Second rule yes. of punditry. Yes. Yeah. Well, but I, again, I have seen lots of people who... You know, may have not been Elizabeth Warren fans or were very quick to point out things they didn't like about her because she's got a longer record that she's got to run on, are coming around and are talking about how impressed they are that she seems to have thought out many more things than the other candidates. And honestly, I think Joe Biden being in the race is helping her because he is so... I'm pausing because there's a baby nearby, so I'm not going to use the word that I was going to use. He is so flippin' vague about things. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he has one goal, and he states one goal. I'm going to beat, you know, I can beat Donald Trump. When apparently he ha their campaign is actively strategizing around minimizing his exposure at this point. Like, they don't, he's not doing as many events and things like that in the attempt to... Um, in theory, is to, you know, he's got a certain position, taking sort of that incumbent, you know, Air the leader and try not to, you know, and, and not give people a chance to take a swing at him. Um, one concern, though, is that, you know, obviously it's going to make it look like he's just doesn't have the, the energy and the momentum to keep 
out there and, and, look, and look, doing he the jogged work. across the stage this week. Right. Jogged all the way across the stage. All the I way, mean, okay. It, I mean, well, I mean, from the wings to the center. I'm, I'm sorry, but one-handed push-ups are, are my metric. That's, you know, the old, uh, I forget the actor who did that at the Oscars that one year, but the I don't, old actor I don't recall from uh, that one movie. Okay, wow, this is just a. The one-handed push-ups, <laughs> that's not. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the movie was and the actor was. It was one with Billy, Bill, Billy Crystal. I'm oh my god! The, the cow. Okay, it was like the the the, the like New York guys, like City Slickers. You're talking about City Slickers, and the guy who won for best supporting actor was the old guy, who was like the cowboy. I uh, can't remember his name. His name is Jack. Yes, that guy. Palance. Jack, Jack Palance. Yeah. Jack Palance. And he went out on stage and did like one-handed push-ups to show like he still got it. I'm pretty sure that's Jack Palance is dead. Well, he doesn't have it anymore. Clearly. <laughs> He was also in the he original lost it Batman somewhere along the way. Right? He was in the original Batman, as as we all do. Yeah. But uh, but he managed to make it on stage. What what were we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I think we should leave I that think in. It's some sort of some sort of ageist comment on uh, uh, right. On we were talking about President <laughs> Joe Biden really being having some restrictions on his exposure. And the downside of that, showing that he's not as vital maybe yes, as he should be. Yes. But I did say he jogged across the stage, or at least halfway across. Yes. I I feel like a lot of this, we're kind of in a holding pattern for now. It's like, yeah. you know, sure, I'm, I'm sure a hundred other people are going to jump in between now and June. But, you know, hey, if you, you, I mean, at this point, though, if you're going to get that $65,000 mark, or excuse me, $65,000, 65000 donation mark, you're going to have to get in pretty soon if you're going to try yes. to hit that. So I think we're kind of near the end of it. Yeah, I do think that uh, we should have a prediction portion of the segment or prediction prediction segment uh, in the weeks leading up to the to the debates before they announce who's going to be on which stage. Maybe we do like our podcast before the debates. We'll do like a, we'll go through the top 23 yeah. or five <laughs> and, you know, we'll oh God, rank order them. See how see what we think. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> and we'll see how we do at the end. Like we'll the top five will be easy. It's the like number eighteen. Like, oh is yeah, that, is that Bullock or is it uh, Moulton or is it Hickenlooper? Hickenlooper. Oh God, I can't forget Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper's in my eighteen slot right now. Yes. Uh, can I? I tell you one other thing that came out this week uh, that I was, I was really, I guess, happy about. You know, again. There are so many candidates that we don't hear a lot from all of them. Uh, but a message that I think is very important, and maybe it's an anti-Biden message, to be honest, is it was from Cory Booker. And he said, remember, beating Donald Trump is not the ceiling. It's the floor. Agreed. Right. So that highlights the differences between a Joe Biden, let's make America my version of great again i can beat donald trump i can bring people together and a more progressive vision that says yeah of course we should of course we should get rid of donald trump right but that's not good enough because we still have kids with you know two hundred thousand dollars in yeah school debt it almost feels like that same sort of like the way that legislation was handled 
you know, under Obama, it was like they came out with sort of like the uh, the middle of the road agreed upon. Everybody's yeah. on board with position. And then it's, you know, suffered the death of a thousand cuts where they never really got anywhere. It's like, no, put some uh, put some vision out there. Take a stand and, and you know, do better than the minimum. The right. minimum is beating Trump. Yeah. And I saw some comments online recently about people like AOC and saying, well, how how dumb is she to s- talk about the Green New Deal because you could never do it? And I think that exemplifies the statement missing the point. Yeah. Like or dislike AOC, if you try for the minimum, you're going to get less f- than that. The Green New Deal was not a set of policy proposals. It was, a, it was, an, a- it was an aspirational framework. Like, right. here's what we want to do. Here are the things we broadly will have to do to do it, but not... You know, and it's it's interesting how that got portrayed as, oh, she's going to raise our taxes and she's going to get rid of all our cars. It's like n- nothing in there says that. And every time I see somebody attack AOC and talk about the Green New Deal, I'm like, my first p- thing is, what was in it? Because they don't know. No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. I was just having this argument like yesterday. It was like, oh, come on. Anyhow. A small digression, but yes. I think an important one, right? It's it's the visionary wing of the candidates versus the non-visionary wing, I think. Yes. So I think that wraps up Circus 2020 um, with a few little tangents in there and takes us to the national politics, a few higher level things. Right, and I, I loved the political theater this week, so... Donald Trump, who has been talking about infrastructure and wanting to get a deal done, and I really want infrastructure. It's going to be the best infrastructure ever. You know, saying he's willing to work with Democrats. He sets up this big meeting. It's all set. Everybody knows it's happening. But it's just with the Democrats, which I find very interesting. I always feel is kind of a red flag. Nancy Pelosi had had some meetings Prior to that and afterwards said, you know, it appears our president's involved in a cover-up. And he walks into that meeting, I guess, doesn't sit down, doesn't shake anybody's hands, complains for two minutes, walks out of the meeting into an impromptu, in air quotes. Very large air quotes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because within that two-minute span, somebody was able to run to Kinko's, apparently. Uh, Yeah, that is the... (laughs) Uh, this was totally unplanned, guys. Totally unplanned. Totally unplanned. That's why we didn't invite any Republican leadership, and we printed up these placards ahead of time complaining about Nancy Pelosi. Well, and it said, no, was it no obstruction, no collusion? I don't, like, I don't know. I mean, so I, I mean, they may just have those on hand. Well, that's the thing. It, <laughs> may, it is plausible that um, the guy who's responsible for the nuclear football also has a portfolio with him of these placards he can bring out at any time. The no collusion No collusion guy. is an important bullet point to hit. Often, in fairness, I would like him to hand that briefcase over to Donald Trump. Yes, a hundred percent of the oh, time. Oh, y- yes, absolutely. Yes. You can have the codes for this one, sir. Yes, one, two, three, four. Maybe we narrowly avoided World War Three, and instead we got that podium and presentation. So who knows? I'll take that. I'll take that. Yes, that's good. Let's <laughs> let's nuke Iran. Give me the codes. Here's the thing. Oh, what about collusion, no collusion, sir? Oh, good point. No collusion. Okay. <laughs> No collusion. So, I I don't know. It wasn't surprising at all. It seemed like a huge waste of time. But I I feel like 
Nancy Pelosi is paying paying nothing to live rent free there in Donald Trump's head. Yes. And I'm all for that. Yes. I am all for that. So another thing uh that's going to become more important as we, you know, move forward into the full-blown election season, which we're still super early on right oh, now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just talking about the different um primary fights that are going to happen. One of the things that's uh, a big one of the districts that's going to be an important one here is uh, Illinois' third district. Um, this was Dan Lipinski's district, um, and last time uh, Marie Newman ran against him and came awfully close to beating him. Um, and Lipinski is one of, if not the most conservative Democrat in in the House, um, and he's against abortion, which I think is going to play into this. Um, and so this battle has become a proxy fight on a couple levels. One, it's become a proxy for the abortion fight. So um, if you want to sort of send a message about what's going on in, you know, Alabama and Georgia, this is a thing that you can help out with that may not directly affect those things. And, you know, in, in areas where you don't necessarily have that much influence, here's something where you can get involved. Um, also, as a sort of fight between the DCCC, uh, which, you know, sort of backs all of the nominally backs all the uh, Democratic incumbents and and sort of the pushback from activists on, you know, who those incumbents are. Um, So does the DCCC, you know, put in a big fight to protect Lipinski, but let up, you know, on Ilhan Omar's, you know, reelection? You know, how do those sorts of things play out? And so this is going to be one of those battlegrounds that's going to be key because Lipinski is clearly outside the, the, the bounds of what's uh, what Democratic House uh, members believe. So does the DCCC still back him? And, it's, and right now, um, they were doing a fundraiser that was uh, being hosted by uh, Bustos. Um, she apparently tapped out. She didn't want to show up to, for this, but the fundraiser is still going to be happening. Um, and so it's reasonable to expect that he's going to continue to be able to find those funding resources uh, for his primary campaign. Right. And it, it's important to note that this is not a this is not a district that is going to be lost. Right? Yeah, this so, is a very Democratic district. Yes. So in 2016, he won 100% of the votes. Yes. He was running against a Nazi, by the way. Right. Yes. Um, right in. Got 91 votes. Yeah. In 2014, he won 65% of the votes. In 2012, he won 68% of the votes in the, in the actual general election. I mean, the... Really, the primary is where it's at here. Yeah, and what we have is a lot of Republicans um, will vote in the Democratic primary, and so that's the reason why he's been able to hold on. And it, I mean, honestly, it plays similar to the way Chicago politics works: is that you have people who are not sure, only Republican yeah. and more conservative, but happen to live in a fairly liberal Democratic city, and so they end up voting for Democratic candidates because that's their option. Yeah, and so it raises some questions, and I think people have have had these questions before about the role of the party and the national party in individual races, especially when those races don't necessarily align with where we believe the party should go. And that's meaning the royal we, right? But especially in years where things like abortion rights are very much under attack and have no nuance anymore. You know, should the Democratic Party as a body be supporting somebody who doesn't support those rights? Yeah. And it you know, and it's one of those things that it 
I think it was a little easier to make a case for it um, a few years ago before Trump got elected, before we had a Supreme Court that was clearly set to uh, repeal abortion rights. Um, so it's a very different scenario right now. And so the tolerance for it is, is a little different. Right. And I just wanted to look this up because I, I needed to check on it. He won the primary uh, 51 to 51.2 to 48.8. Yeah, it right? was a so pretty close fight. Pretty close. A couple thousand votes separated. Yes. And then he squarely beat the Nazi. Squarely beat the Nazi. Well, that's good. Yes. I mean, he's way <laughs> ahead of for the Nazi. Beating Nazis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, I thought we weren't talking about the 2020 election anymore. Right? Too soon. So... Outside of that election, that could have been a good segue between state and national things. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about some indictments that came down this week against Julian Assange. And look, I'm not a big fan one way or another of Julian Assange. Um, I think his stint in the embassy in London was pretty epic, evidently. He had cats. Well played, I suppose. But the United States government has chosen to indict him on some charges that really are troubling to journalists. And yeah. I don't want to imply in any way, shape, or form uh, that I am a journalist or even aspire to I, be one. I assure you, he is not. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I am. No, no. <laughs> but the idea here that... He is being targeted politically because of the things that came out yeah. through WikiLeaks. And their argument is that he talked to somebody who said they had some information and he encouraged them to get to that information is, is troubling. Yeah, it, I mean, this is basically the core of what investigative journalism is. It's making contacts in the government with potential whistleblowers who inevitably are going to be nervous about right. the ramifications for them, maybe reticent to do it, but still have a feel an obligation to do something. And so there's always going to be some some negotiation that could be per, you know perceived as you know encouraging that person to steal government secrets or whatever. And so this is not about Assange. This is about the New York Times and the Washington Post and other journalistic out, out, outlets that use those tactics and techniques to then get us the information we need to judge what our government is doing. Right. And I would note that it is very interesting that they seem to have drawn some line between the work around WikiLeaks getting information about diplomatic cables and troop movements and whatnot in the Middle East, but not about WikiLeaks work during the 2016 election. Right. And uh, so it's bad either way, but it's also bad and clearly political. Yeah. Which is well, and there's, doubly true. You troubling. know, you can make more of a case for what was done during the 2016 election as far as like being a a corrupt practice by what WikiLeaks was doing and, you know, being basically a cutout for the Russian government. However, <laughs> they didn't steal what was stolen. 
and you know they didn't right. leak what was you know and so it, it's it's very high risk of setting a dangerous precedent um especially with a more conservative supreme court so we'll see what happens so a couple other things that came out uh, this week i think one was around economics and governments and people and pundits talk a lot about uh, economics when they talk about the health of a presidency you know again we are only we're a scant 17 months out from an election so it's time to talk about those things and uh, what we saw this week were you know some pretty stark uh, differences in people's experiences in the quote-unquote good economy uh, stark differences in how those are reported and impacts of the trade war which I would note that our president has said is they're a good thing and easy to win, uh, the impacts of that trade war taking their toll on people. Yeah, and particularly on farmers. Um, one of the things that we hear a lot of discussion about is the evils of socialism, you know, when we talk about uh, Bernie Sanders and all of that. And the economic policies of Trump around the trade fight with China feel like sort of the worst kind of that. Yeah, um, you're putting tariffs in place, which ultimately are paid for by U.S. residents who are buying things from overseas. And when various products are being blocked in China, et cetera, that's destroying markets for those farmers, uh, amongst others. And so when those markets go away, yeah, we can use tax money to directly pay them. Ooh, socialism. Um but the downside of that is, is that those markets are gone. Like they, those companies are already making up other supply chains, figuring out right. the way to get those things. Those farmers are going to, even once all this goes away, assuming it does, um, they're going to have to rebuild all of that. And so they're going to be at immediate loss and they probably aren't going to be getting the same help from the government when they do it. So you can expect a lot of those farmers are going to be going out of business in right. the long run. Except for... The large, not the mom and pop farmers, right? It's going to be large, sort of industrial farmers who are going to yes, be able the, to weather the, the Skynet farmed, right? Mass plantation things. Yeah. So the net effect, right, is that American consumers pay more for goods from out of the country. Farmers are closed out from markets. The government subsidizes those farmers because it's a good political move. So we pay more taxes. And then we're taxed. The American consumer is taxed to subsidize those farmers. Yes. Now, if I'm a Democratic s strategist, I would start to call every subsidy to a farmer in certain states maybe some kind of trade war tax. I mean, because that's the what Trump it is. Tax. It is the Trump tax. We are trumping <laughs> free markets in exchange for a petty fight yep. on a topic that he knows nothing about. Yeah. And I'm sure many will, who are political supporters of Trump, who will see it as a, sh you know, okay, fine, I'm taking the short-term pain for the bigger returns of, you know, our country being in a better position, get rah, rah. At some point, that runs out of steam, though, when you can't pay your bills. Yeah, and I'm hoping that runs out of steam in about six months. Six months? That'd be nice. That'd be nice. 
about six months. And I think it's going to happen. I mean, I really do. Yeah. I mean, the already the, the economy is so, showing some signs of weakness. Um, you know, so if it depends on when all that happens. But, you know, if we're going into election 2020 with a recession in in flight, then we're in a very different situation than we are right now. Well, and I think that there's probably some recognition that has to happen that the economy as measured sort of traditionally and by media outlets is not the economy that most people feel. Yeah. There are plenty of people I know who do not feel secure in the economy regardless of the Dow or what unemployment is, right? Because the Bureau of Labor Statistics has changed the way that they calculate unemployment since Donald Trump took office. And so it feels artificially low, especially if you compare it to how he talked about unemployment when he was running for office. And we'll see how he does it again. But I think they'll continue to revise those things down a little bit. So what qualifies as somebody being in the workforce, being out of the workforce, those kinds of things. And I do think real people feel that. I think, you know, people feel the anxiety of, you know, not knowing if they're going to have a job or the anxiety of uh, seeing the debts that they have from one place or another. And that will that will hopefully result in changes in opinions on who they vote for. Agreed. Um, so moving on from there, a little more of an abstract topic. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about political language and kind of how we I talk did. about these things. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on this? So if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me talk about this before and maybe rant a little bit about it, which you'll probably find ironic and a little bit hypocritical. But listening again today to Robert Mueller coming out and getting on stage and talking about there at the lectern, talking about the words that he wrote in that report or were written by he and his staff and essentially saying, look, don't ask me any other questions. I am not going to give you any other information. My testimony is in that report and that language is the language that we have to use. Yeah. And that's disappointing for a lot of people because they look at it and they say, like, I'm not sure what this means. And he very clearly repeated things like Justice Department regulations said that we could not indict a sitting president. And it is not fair to accuse someone of a crime when you cannot adjudicate it in the courts. And we could not, you know, absolve him of any crimes. Pregnant pause. Yes. Right? So the reaction from some people would be, at like maybe the president says, well, I'm innocent. Look, he said I'm innocent, which he clearly did not say at all. Right. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. But almost not the opposite, because the opposite <laughs> would be he's guilty. Right. But just, you know, I mean, that, that's the thing. Is, and I think it's, it's frustrating because he's operating within a specific legal framework and using language, the, using, I think, the most aggressive language he can use within that framework. He right. can't say, 
the president committed a crime. He can't say he should be indicted. He can't say any of that. No. He went as far as he could towards that and said that they found the evidence that they found and they cannot make any statement one way or the other because of Department of Justice rules. And that was the thing I think that was striking about the speech he gave this morning, which otherwise was a big nothing burger, <laughs> it was, was it, it made the connection that has been stated by many people that there is a the reason why they didn't come to a conclusion is because they were forbidden from doing so. Right. No, no, no. The reason they didn't come to a conclusion that wasn't he's exonerated. They could come to only one conclusion, and that would be that he was exonerated. Yes, Any and they did not come to that conclusion. They could not yes. come to. It's proving a negative, which is very difficult, and it's very nuanced. And again, when you look at the words of the attorney general, there was no evidence, he said. No evidence. Versus, we didn't find conclusive evidence to prove conspiracy, which is far more nuanced, which says we found evidence of a conspiracy but it wasn't conclusive enough to prove it. Right. And this strikes at the heart of where we are in political discourse and how different people and you know different groups of people talk about things like this. Now, I'm not comfortable, for a number of reasons probably, but I'm not comfortable with the idea that after two years... They kind of think there was something there. I don't know how much th- that was there, but there was something there. And they can't say that there was no crime committed. That makes me uncomfortable. But I want to talk about it, and I want to explore that, as opposed to, I think, the other side of that language, which is people saying, well, they didn't indict him. There's no crime. Just move on. We're done. We're done, except for investigating the investigators, which is a, right. a different thing right. maybe we'll talk about. But I think it's, it's sort of incumbent on those of us who, are, who care about it and have been thoughtful and taken some time to continue to have thoughtful, nuanced conversation about it with people. As long as those conversations end with, and then impeach him, I'm totally on board with it. Well, I... <laughs> While I would tend to agree with you that that is the, the route to take, and I think, you know, if you look at the Mueller report, it's sort of a, look, uh, the only real option here is to maybe follow the one laid out in the Constitution, which is impeachment. Like, it seems like he was saying today, read the, looks over at baby, flipping manual, or read the Mueller report, yes. right? And it lays out why... The Congress should be the next party to take this up. Yes, and I'm—I mean, it's like as close as you can come within the framework he's operating in to beg Congress to do their job. Right, and that's what just drives me nuts about this. Is like you still have this, you know, and maybe over the next 24, 48 hours, we're going to see a shift after what he said. But I feel like we kind of keep waiting for some milestone to finally make it seem like okay, well, now we can do it. It's like right. there's 10 separate occasions of obstruction of justice in that document. Hundreds with of the pages. evidence to support all of it. So why are we still having this conversation? Right. Now, there might be other things 
Yeah. And I'm, and I'm pretty confident that if you dug into his financial side of things, you're going to find a bunch of it. Right. So if the theory is we need like a month or two to, you know, suss out some of those financial crimes before we officially pull the trigger. OK, maybe. But you can also do that within the framework of we're now in impeachment proceedings. We're doing investigations. Sure. We're building the evidence and presenting our sure. case. I just want to point out that you've just agreed with Steve Bannon, who said once they dig into his financial transactions, they'll know what a crook he is. Well, so you know, even even a, even a blind squirrel finds the occasional nut. I, I was just going to say it just shows how well balanced you are and willing right, to take yes, any that's opinion. My, on. That's today's bipartisan moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steve agrees with Steve. Yes, Steve always agrees. <laughs> the with Steve's Steve. a, Steve's very agreeable. <laughs> so I don't think I don't think that there's going to be a big shift in the next 48 hours. What I I did appreciate about what Robert Mueller said today. And again, I appreciate that I'm reading into this my own bias, but he's like my testimony that I would give in front of Congress is already in that document. Yes. So don't wait for me. Don't be waiting for Godot. <laughs> it's like it's like the guy who shows up for the radio interview and he's like, shouldn't you read my book? Like, nobody right. ever read your book. Nobody's reading your book. <laughs> Why didn't you read my book? You're like, ah. I, d- I didn't even know you had a book. Yes. I thought it was a cover, a back cover, blank pages in yes. between. I look forward to Robert Mueller's book tour, though. I w- I'd love a signed copy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Where he gets up at the store and says nothing <laughs> for 10 minutes. Up, he gets up. He just repeats his like speech from today. He signs in a silver pen on the blacked-out parts of the Mueller report. I would pay money for that. I'm just saying. I, I would. <laughs> I would definitely pay money for that. I mean, you paid money for a Seth Moulton shirt. So <laughs> I, I did. Feel like <laughs> I did pay money. If he's up on the stage, you're welcome. There you go. So it just is something that is very troubling to me. You know, as we heard again, Robert Mueller went out of his way to talk about the attack on the election. And... Russia's concerted attempt and potential success in driving discussion and dissension inside of the United States that was meant to influence the election. And I truly believe that the only way we inoculate ourselves against that is by having real discussion, by having the ability to have a conversation that doesn't start with, oh, you think that? You're an idiot. Um, and that's the kind of language that's devolved on I feel many like, discussions. But I feel like part of the problem we have right now is that our discussions are coming from separate bases of fact. It's like you've got, well, and I say fact in very large quotation marks here, is like, you know, I can get my sources from the New York Times, the Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, that are all at least attempts to have objective journalism. They have their flaws, but they at least make the effort to try to do that. Whereas you have other outlets where there is a clear political bias where they are making up things or at least distorting them as much as possible to fit to their perspective. Right. That's um, called the White House Press Office. Right. And With, their distribution Fox channel, <laughs> Fox News. Yes. Um and so, because um, I've had, my, and I'm the liberal black sheep of my family, and so I have these conversations with my family, and I always find it challenging because we can seemingly have 
conversation and agreement on things as long as they don't fall within that realm of things that have received a lot of propaganda. Once a certain amount of propaganda has come out, the conversation can't get anywhere anymore. So we can, you know, we can't talk about, you know, Clinton's role in, you know, in her emails or in the um, uh, uranium one. Yes, Uranium One or any of those things because they've already been sort of established as, okay, well, here's the party line. Yes, yes. Um, And so I think that's that's the thing that concerns me the most about how we turn around from this is I think you're right that we need to be able to have those conversations, but I think it's become increasingly difficult to do so. Well, maybe I believe that and hope that there are the group of people that are still swayable that are willing to have those conversations. Well, you know, and I will say, like, the Robert Mullers of the world who, who, while he's nominally a Republican, I would say he's just a Republican. I don't need to throw nominally in there. Um, so nominally Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. Right, that's fine. right, yes. Um, but, you know, that they are, tr- like, people like him are trying to sort of adhere to what our principles are supposed to be, what our institutions mandate, you know, and, and seeing even like, you know, Justin Amash, which I still feel like there's maybe some, some angle he's playing here, but he's at least saying the right, right. things. So there's a you know, level have to give of him, distrust. I have to give him credit for that, that, you know, I don't give to Nancy Pelosi on it because that's just where we're at. <laughs> but, you know, is that, you know, but the only way we're going to get through is if a few people who are nominally where where it will feel good to them to be aligned with Trump and his policies are going to stand up to him. But look, even with with Representative Amash, right? So this week he got a standing ovation at a town hall. First of all, he's a Republican who did a town hall, which is kind of rare. That's that's ovation he got, right there. <laughs> he got a standing ovation in Grand Rapids, which again, speaking of beer fantastic beer in Grand Rapids. Maybe we'll do a road show, see if we can get him on. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to commit to you right now. I'm going to try to contact him and see if he'll do an interview with us on the road in Grand Rapids. Okay. At a brewery there. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Why not? (laughs) We have hotel points. It can't be that expensive. (laughs) So did you at any time, did you know that he got a standing ovation? Was Really yes, well I, received. I, I heard okay. that, yes. At any point during that, did you have a small feeling that it wasn't genuine, that it could have been staged? So here's where I think, I don't think that that's what happened. I think what happened was people who want impeachment to move forward and heard about all this wanted to go out and actively support him in the hopes of sort of like encouraging him. So I don't think it was fake. I think it was just biased towards people who wanted to support what he did. Or it might be fake. Or it might be <laughs> Well, that's fair. I mean, it was just for a moment. There was a moment where I was like, well, I bet you somebody put those people I will there. say there was like a little bit in the back of my head where it's like when Justin Amash <laughs> came out with that, I'm like, maybe Pelosi's onto something. Like maybe maybe it's like he's part of the, oh, no, we, no, go ahead and impeach him. And like, they're, so he's just trying to. Right. He's getting his libertarian uh, running for president chops. Right. He's got to get 65 donors uh, to be on the Libertarian debate stage. Oh, only 65. There's only him. Well, that <laughs> makes it easier. Seth Moulton should run as a Libertarian. 
could do. I feel like we've could gone do. off the rails a little bit on this. Yeah, one, but, but you it, know, but it's a good kind of off the rails. It is. I I think that the, uh, that message that it's important to have the discussions and be willing to talk to people and not treat everything as a joke, not treat every hypocrisy or place where there's clear, at least clear to us, you know, sort of cognitive dissonance. Those those aren't jokes. You know, we have to keep having the conversation. We have to keep talking to people because even if 90% of the message is wrong, there's five percentage that might five percentage points that might resonate with somebody, and we can build on that common truth. And a, and a couple percent can swing in elections. So uh, it's true. It, you know, Seventeen thousand votes. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Seventeen thousand votes. And in the spirit of sort of honest debate and keeping. A conversation above board. Can I tell you how much I enjoyed all of the stories about milkshakes being thrown at Nigel Farage? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That was good. I mean, my favorite part of it was um, they had asked McDonald's to stop selling milkshakes so that people stopped throwing milkshakes at Nigel Farage. And then Burger King tweeted out saying, we still have milkshakes. <laughs> and the chance at rallies now are we have your milkshakes, we drink your milkshakes. Yeah. Why Why don't we have... I want to see in this country people in bright orange vests a la France holding milkshakes a la the UK. Like, come on, people. Let's let's get this together. Let's get some better protests right. at these things, right, not right. just, you know, a person in a MAGA hat. Yeah, no. Or a single sign. No. no. We should get... And I think, you know, the European elections are... Uh, an interesting topic and the, the departure over to our international segment, yes we have the departure of Theresa may also an interesting topic but i also feel like we've gone very long today on yes, domestic and state things <laughs> so maybe we'll save international politics for another day what do you think steve i think that sounds good yeah no we've uh we've been enjoying our our beers here in the outdoors i think we're we're just overwhelmed by the actual outdoor air and so we're just a little bit excited and energized and it's what happens in chicago in the spring yes. when it actually turns everybody to just sort of loses their mind briefly yeah exactly note everyone is putting on jackets now yes because it's like 50 degrees but we're staying outside because god damn it <laughs> uh, and now but yeah no i think that uh that wraps us up here um so please seriously it has an iTunes or Google Play. It's not that hard. No, a star. A, you don't have to do much. Yeah. A nice, a nice. Hey, tune in. That'd be great. Yeah. Just listen. You're out there listening. Like it's our stats show that a couple hundred people are listening, but we don't know if those are real. So no. you know, it'd be nice if we could see it. So it's all right. So thanks again for sticking with us. We'll be back at you next week. Hopefully, again in the beautiful outdoors here in Chicago, perhaps at a brewery in Michigan. But I think it'll take more than a week to pull together. Yeah. I'm still going to try. I think we have better odds of getting Seth Moulton on a podcast. Okay, I'll try them both. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see where we get. Right. I'm a donor. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> exactly. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.